This is the Triage Method Podcast, Q&A edition, part two. Most of you will hopefully have watched or listened to part one of the Q&A. If not, go back and listen to it. And in this episode, we're basically going to get back to some of the questions that we didn't get through and answer the rest of them. So I think we'll just get right in and skip the right straight in, no kissing. Like. Um, so the first question is quite a good question, one that we've addressed before, um, but one that I think is important, uh, especially... I was going to say especially for guys, but actually it's just as much of a problem um, for girls, and I think it's probably not even mentioned um, in the women. Women, yeah. for female, women, ladies, whatever you prefer. Um, but the question is basically how to overcome the psychological barrier to weight gain and consuming more calorie-dense foods. So I suppose the background context here, because I know the individual, I like the individual, great guy, um, the background context here is someone who has a hypertrophy goal, so that's, that is a goal, like they want to build muscle, they want to get stronger, so they want to make progress that's specific to resistance training, but they've got that barrier of wanting to maintain what I would consider to be a very, very like low level of body fat, like a, le- a level of body fat that you probably don't want to be trying to maintain if you're trying to optimize your progress. So clearly in this case, there's kind of two conflicting things like working against each other where you're trying to stay really lean, but you're also trying to fuel the training process. And sometimes that can be just fine um, because most people do tend up tend to over time spontaneously over consume at least a little bit. You know, like they might think they're on maintenance, but maybe they're one or two hundred calories over and the weight creeps up over time. But one or two calories, you say it's one one or two hundred calories. But if you're if you're at sixty kilos and you've been there for two years, like you're you're really hampering your progress then. So so what would unless you're at your like genetic yeah, unless you're your limit, like, but um, we're assuming that you're not, you're if, not if you're in that position. Yeah, so in terms of, like, the, the problems here, problem number one, as we said, you're not giving your body the fuel that it actually requires to be able to fuel the training process and build the new tissue that you, that you want. And I think, like, that's a real simple thing to understand, as in, like, if you were trying to build a building and you've only got you don't you literally do not have any more bricks remaining and you want to build the remaining floors like how are you going to do that it's impossible like in the case that you have lots of extra body fat okay there's some resources that can be kind of relocated in some cases at maintenance but if you're already at a low body fat there's like there's no there's literally no way of you building muscle unless you're over consuming calories and even by a little bit because like where exactly is the energy to synthesize those proteins going to come from like it's just not there yeah, it's not if you don't have it in body fat the only other place is muscle really so yeah. you end up in a situation where it's like you're stealing from peter to pay paul yeah. where it's like yeah, okay i stole some you know protein from my fucking calf converted it to like glucose or whatever was needed and put it into towards fucking my chest and then the next workout is like you do the exact opposite you know it's like that's the only other store that you have yeah. that could potentially go anywhere so you end up in a net same yeah. yeah so basically you're going to be the same for a long period of time and you know the thing is i think that's acceptable in a lot of cases like if your goal is not to build muscle you're just trying to improve performance or enjoy the training process totally fine you don't need to have a muscle building goal but when you do you do need to you know adhere to the things that are required for you to actually move forward because building muscle is not easy and you do definitely need to have the energy substrates available to undertake that process so the next thing from there is then to discuss like why this would be a psychological barrier. The reason most of the time this would be a barrier for people is because they, they don't want to accept the extra body fat that comes with 
gaining muscle. And maybe that's because they just really enjoy the aesthetic side of, side of lifting. Sometimes it's because uh, they have certain obligations, like formal or informal, like fitness models, for example, they often have to stay lean. But other than that, you I think an underappreciated thing is that if you're the, the training person, the fitness guy or girl in your group, and suddenly you're a little bit out of shape, as in you gain a little bit of body fat, you don't quite have the definition that you used to, the veins on your arms, whatever. If you don't have those characteristics anymore, then you may feel like you're actually losing a little bit of a part of your identity, I think. So that could be a barrier for people. So they're the types of things that you have to, you know, have to think about to start with, to wrestle with them, and then to take small steps in the, in, in the direction that you want to go. So like the first step, like from my perspective, would be to one, recognize that, you know, a little bit of body fat gain is not going to be the biggest deal in the world. And it's not just going to happen overnight either. As in, if you're smart with your nutrition, it's going to be a gradual change. So if I was coaching an individual like this, I would not be saying like, right, let's gain two kilos a month because that, that, that transition is too significant and it's going to be like a problem for that person. So in this case, you might want to actually employ a more conservative approach to weight gain where you're saying, right, you know, maybe we'll max out at about a kilo a month. Like most people, if you gain a kilo in the next month, you'd barely notice it, you know? So you want to be start off with a conservative surplus and just get into that process. And you'll start to notice there are certain benefits to it. Like you have more fuel for your training. You won't have as many days where you're feeling low in energy or, or under-recovered because you've got that surplus more often. Um, and then over time, you'll begin to undertake the process of accepting a little bit more body fat. And it's not going to be a linear process either in that it, it's quite difficult. It's, there, there'll, there'll be days where you'll wake up when you've gained four kilos and you're like, oh God, I'm so out of shape. But then you just take a step back and you kind of push on for another few days and then you're like, all right, actually, I see the benefits here. And, and the key thing to remember is that the grass is always greener on the other side. Like one of my clients just said that to me this week. They were like, they said they heard us discuss it on the podcast and now they realize because, you know, when she was dieting and she was losing weight, she was like, oh, I can't wait to be in a surplus. You know, I'm so excited to feel great again. And then when you're in a surplus, you're like, oh, I can't wait to be dieting again because, you know, I, I don't feel the best or maybe I'm farting more because I'm consuming more food or like a little bit of body fat. Yeah, a little bit of body fat. Stress of eating so many yeah. calories. Yeah, like even for me, like one of the things I always know is like when I started game weight or from in surplus for a while, I kind of missed that that little bit of hunger. Like we have talked about it many times, where I just feel more productive when I've got that little bit of hunger. You know, it's it's like it's like you're you're always focused on other tasks. And there's a little bit more structure to your day when yeah. you're kind of dieting because you're like, oh, well, I know I need to eat now soon, or you know, there's that like I have to kind of plan that a little yeah. bit more. Whereas you have a bit more free, you just have more freedom when you're 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 bulking or you're, you're eating in a surplus, you're kind of like, it's not playing on your mind as much and that kind of does take away from the, the focusing side of mm -hmm. things where you're like, okay, well, I know I have to have lunch at like 12 because I'm going to be hungry otherwise and I'm not going to be able to focus on my work, you know, so it gives your day more structure, you know? Yeah, so I think, and then, and then the other thing I think that is a bit more harsh but you have to say it to yourself, like, if you're not willing to overeat, like if you're not willing to consume sufficient calories to fuel your goal, like, why are you training? And that's not to say there's no benefit to it, but for example, like if, if you if you are just trying to maintain your physique, you don't need to train that hard. As in like, yeah, you need to show up at the gym a few times a week, you need to do a bit, but it's very easy to maintain your physique. To progress your physique, you have to train 
you know, much harder generally. There's generally like you have to push things much further to gain something than to actually maintain it. So if you're going to the gym and you're putting in all of the effort that's required for you to progress and to gain muscle, but you're not fueling it, then you may as well be training a lot easier. As in your your efforts are not producing any sort of meaningful results. Like yeah, you might have a couple of kilos of strength gain here and there. You know, there might be a psychological benefit. Like gaining muscle is not the only reason to train. It's still beneficial for your health. But if that's the outcome you're looking for, muscle gain, then I'd really be questioning why I'm showing up to the gym every day, investing so much of my time and effort if I'm not doing something that is a relatively simple behavior change, like the addition of two or three hundred calories, to try and facilitate the outcomes that I want. Yeah, and with that, like you're coming at it from the perspective of the actual weight gain is itself. Right? Yeah. And you can kind of look at it from that perspective, but you can also do it the opposite and focus on the actual habits themselves, sure. right? So like rather than being very outcome orientated, which obviously has its benefits, yeah. you know, because like, that's the outcome you want to influence, like actually keeping track of it can be quite beneficial. But taking a step back, this is especially important for females or people with, you know, a history of some sort of disordered eating around mm-hmm. food where they're, they get this hyper-focus on the, the scales, the scale weight, you know, if they start seeing that go up, they're like, I'm out of control, I have no, I need to regain control of my diet, and that generally means, like, cutting calories, but, like, stepping away from the scales and going, I'm actually not going to focus on that too much, you know, maybe I do step on it once a month just to kind of reassure myself or, you know, whatever, or if you can do it, impartially step on it daily, weekly, whatever it is, uh, but taking that step back from that actual scale itself, so you're not, you're not thinking, like, oh, no, if I'm over 65 kilos, I'm I'm obese, you know, taking that step back and actually just focusing on the habits themselves. Like you could approach this and be like, I find it really hard to, you know, gain weight because I get all these negative thoughts where I'm like, oh no, I'm going to get fat. I'm not willing to accept all this extra body fat or whatever it is that's actually holding you back from, from doing this. You know, you could just engage with the process itself, but in a very minimal way. For example, you could just be like, right, I know my maintenance is 2,500. Right? And that's what you're eating, and you're like, this This is where I'm staying to maintain my physique. And if I go higher than that, like, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm losing control. You, you could just take this. Like, I always look at, like, how do you how do you eat an elephant, like, one bite at a time, you know? So you could literally just add 50 calories to your day, right? And once, like, that's so inconsequential. Like, that's literally, like, you'll probably upregulate some fucking, you know, heat production in your body that you'll actually stay at the same weight, yeah, you probably. know? Um, but... Just that act of going, okay, I'm actually taking one step. Even if it's a, an inconsequential step, it is a step in the direction that you want to move, right? And once you feel comfortable with that, you've done that, and you're like, yeah, there wasn't actually that much of a, a difference. I felt a, maybe a little bit more energetic, you know, but there, there wasn't a huge difference. You go, okay, can I go for 100 calories? You know, and again, this might take place over a couple of months. You know, I'm not saying that this is going to sort you out in the next week like again like you're looking at that longer time frame if you're like look i want to build muscle over time like we could say roughly a 300 calorie surplus is a good place to be to be like i'm going to maximize muscle gain and minimize you know fat gain right so if you can get closer to that perfect but again that, that can be taken over a number of months a number of years to slowly get up to that now obviously in that process you are going to be gaining muscle, gaining weight, so that number is going to change itself. But, you know, taking those smaller steps and just looking at the habits that's, that are needed to 
influence the, the end outcome rather than actually tracking the end outcome itself, that can be a very beneficial approach if you are stuck in that mindset of the, the outcome itself changing, even if it is what you say you want, once you see it written down on the scale, you're like, oh no, man. Um, abort this mission, we're going back, we're back in the diet, you know, seeing your, or doing habits that lead to that outcome, but not actually tracking that outcome can be very beneficial. And also to an extent, it's a little bit easier to actually just go, okay, well, I'm just going to eat more because essentially that's what needs to be done, right? You need to eat more, right? It doesn't matter how much the, the magnitude of that, obviously it does matter in terms of the, the proportion you're going to gain as fast versus muscle and, and all that stuff. But ultimately what you need to do is eat more. So what can you do as an individual throughout your day that allows you to facilitate you to actually do that? You know, and that could be something as simple as I'm going to just have 50 extra calories per day, or it could be something as simple as like some people find that they, they're very, re very restricted or restrictive in their food selection. And rather than going like, Oh, you have to eat, you know, quote unquote bulking foods or whatever. It's like, no, I'm actually just going to eat a little bit more of what I have. And eat. you know, you're like, I have 50 grams of oats. Can we just bump that up to 60, 70? Like, you know, like what? Can we do these small things, these small habits that'll lead to the outcome actually being influenced over time? Now, obviously, that's not, you still have to eventually pay the piper and you have to deal with stepping on the scales one day and you're 65 kilos. That still doesn't sort that issue, but it will actually give you some ability to move forward with your goals. But again, like you do have to eventually confront your demons and actually, you know, this is, this is one of the situations where I'm like, you know, like it probably is a good idea just to get psychological help. Like yeah, go, go to a psychiatrist, yeah. a psychologist, whatever one is the more appropriate for your given situation uh, and actually have them talk through the issues with you. You know, is it something that it's like, okay, well actually you have a very low confidence in yourself and like you have identified yourself as the fitness guy, girl, whatever, and this has given you an identity and that's what you needed. You needed that shield, you needed that barrier to the to the world you're still gonna to have to deal with those issues like me saying go oh i add 50 calories yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not going to deal with that you know or again like you, you could be have come from a background of you know disordered eating and being like okay well this is how i get control in my life because the rest of my life there's so little control you know my family broke up when i was very young you know i was fucking sexually abused or whatever it is and you turn to like this disordered eating to kind of cope with that that could be both sides of the, the coin where it's like you know, you've, you just you medicate with food and you just, you know, you're obese as a result. Um, or, you know, you're kind of control food because you're like, I, I, need to, I need to have control in my life because I don't have control in these other aspects of my life. And as a result, you know, you eat very, very little calories because you're like, oh, every food has to be very clean. And, you know, you essentially have these disordered thoughts around food, you know. And again, that goes both ways, in the, the, the obese front and the, the underweight front. Um, but yeah, like for some people, it, it, you actually will need to get yeah. like psychological help, you know. So like, don't be afraid to do that because it's really weird in in the fitness industry. We do all these things that, or rather, we say all these things. Well, some people say all these things, but then don't actually put into practice those things themselves. Like people will say, like, "Oh yeah, I'm really interested in mental health," you know, and they'll talk about it from a certain perspective. And they'll never actually address the fact that they have mental health issues around food. Yeah. You know, they use food as a medication. Like they use it to, you know, when they're sad, they're like, oh, well, I overeat. You know, it's like, you're, do you not see the connection here? You're talking about 
dismantle health stuff over here, talking about like depression and all that stuff. And it's like, you're not actually dealing with the, the demon or the fucking skeleton in your closet that will actually help you the most, you know? Because obviously it's hard. Like no one, no one likes, like inherently likes talking about this stuff where it's like, oh yeah, let's sit down and actually talk about my deepest, darkest secrets and my deepest, darkest weaknesses and insecurities. Yeah. Who the fuck wants to talk about that? No one, you know? So for a lot of individuals, like that's, that's probably going to get them more results than me going, buy that 50 calorie surplus, yeah. start there and slowly add over time, you know? Like obviously that's an approach. And again, it, it, these don't have to be done separately. Like they can be done together, you know? But yeah, for a lot of people, like actually... I don't actually have to be a psychologist, psychiatrist, or whatever. Like, but sometimes just talking and putting your, like, verbalizing your thoughts helps you actually really get down to the crux of the issue. Because, like, if you think about it, like human cognition, like we we essentially think in dialogue. You know, like you actually have to verbalize your thoughts. So, like, there is like theories out there that you know humans, like, the reason we think in thought and think in words is rather what I'm trying to say is because we are a very communicating species like we're a very verbal species that's how we transmit thoughts that's how we transmit information you know it's the the written word the verbal word uh, like obviously there is these like non-verbal cues like you can see my face and how my hand movement and all that kind of stuff but ultimately if we do use uh, speech or language to communicate ideas you know and there is a thought process that's like that's actually how the human brain evolved and this is why people find when they actually try to verbalize their ideas they're much better at actually putting them in an understandable form even for themselves you know like you might have ideas but like you know yourself like you think of like uh, a round ball like you have all of these ideas about what that means and you when i said that you thought of a color you thought of you know maybe patterns on it you thought of different shapes of sizes you know like but the only way you can actually communicate that is if you verbalize it, you know? And if you remember in the last episode, we were talking about, uh, like, the, the empathy stuff when we are talking about the physiotherapists, you know, that, it's the same thing. It's like, you, like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, I, I don't, like, no one can read minds. No one, you know? So you have to be able to communicate that, you know? So that's the same with your, your emotions and the, all the stuff around food. Like, you're able to communicate that and actually verbalize what you are thinking that not only helps other people understand what you're thinking but actually helps you as an individual understand what you're thinking because again like you have all these these thoughts like non-verbal thoughts and they're very hard to put into words but if you're actually able to verbalize them you're actually able to let's say control them and if you think back to the episode we did ages ago like you know words are magic uh, like that one, especially because we go a little bit deeper into this, like, I don't want to sound like all woo-woo or whatever, but it's like, they, they really are. It's like the, the, the way we use words is a is a, a metaphor or, I don't even know if metaphor is the right word. It is a representation of our reality, you know? And this goes down to the very words that we choose to express. Now, again, like a lot of people overblow the importance of that they're like oh don't say negative words because yeah. you know they'll they'll harm your your psyche or whatever it's like that's not well, that would be my my opinion a misrepresentation of this thought process and um, but you may need to just talk to someone and actually have an impartial ear not even like trying to give you information i'm trying to guide you 
but just actually let you verbalize and bounce your thoughts off them so that you're like, I actually have come to realize because of this conversation that the reason I struggle with food is because I've always been the, the one that got bullied because of whatever and I use food as a comfort or maybe you were overweight as a child and you got bullied because of that and you know now you have to be the shredded individual where it's like oh, I don't want to ever feel weak like I felt then like people do this in the fitness industry on the other side as well like guys got bullied as kids or whatever and they're like I have to create this armor I have to be big and strong so that you know no one can hurt me and you know I have to put this facade on like oh, I'm fucking massive bro and again it goes that way so like you if you actually take that step back and actually deal with these emotional underpinnings like you actually lead a much more enriched life because yeah. you actually understand yourself and also it allows you to deal with these issues that are coming up in your life rather than just going like oh i need a protocol to deal with this rather than actually like looking under the hood and you're like okay this is this is the the, the underlying like first principle stuff that if we actually understand this stuff and we're actually able to deal with the, the root cause, we don't actually get all these other offshoots that have been occurring in my life, you know? And I, I can I can be a much more loving person, family member, community member, and contribute to society in a much more meaningful way. Then. But, you know, that's that's something that some people will hear that and go, yeah, no, that's actually what I really need to do. I need to go out and find the best psychologist, psychiatrist, or friend, family member, whatever, and actually talk through this stuff and deal with this stuff while some other people are going to read that or listen to that and go this is fucking woo-woo bullshit psychology will make mm-hmm. i think psychology is fake anyway but yeah. <laughs> uh, psychology you know isn't going to help <coughs> psychiatrists isn't going to help they're just a shrink they're not going to be able to fucking do anything so i'm just going to go back to uh binge restrict cycles and yeah. yo-yo dieting yeah so i think in summary like if you're finding yourself asking this question where you want to overcome a quote unquote psychological barrier to to gaining weight um, and engaging in the practices that are required you really first have to ask yourself like what brought you to the point of asking this question because like if you were someone who like let's say you just did a 12 week fat loss phase you enjoyed the feeling of being lean and now you're like oh i don't know if i want to gain weight like that's fine like realistically you need to kind of engage with the process that's fine but if you're someone on the other side of the spectrum where you've always struggled with body image issues you struggle with being binging and restricting and like the con- the constant like chronic dieting you always want to be leaner and you struggle with the idea of ever having a large meal like if you've got those more kind of uh things you might consider to be psychopathological or disorder eating or whatever they're the types of things you want to deal with with a professional as opposed to just trying to confirm your own bias by getting our answer because i think that's what happens with a lot of um a lot of times people are struggling with disordered eating they try to find a way that can an answer that can confirm the behavior that they're going to engage in anyway. For example, something like engaging in a new exercise program that just happens to burn loads of calories, you know, like, like CrossFit, for example, or taking up running. I've seen that in some individuals where people will veer towards those activities because they're more energetically costly, because it justifies the behavior of eating more without gaining weight. And I think, Again, they're the types of conversations you just you need to at least have with yourself mm. and potentially with a professional, depending on how how much of an impact that's having on your life and your ability to engage beyond just the training and nutrition environment, if you will. 
Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um, next question kind of ties in, ties in quite closely here, so we'll just touch on that as well. That's how do you find the balance between meeting friends for food and drinks and hitting weight loss goals? Um, so this is definitely a problem for a lot of people, like probably all of our clients. Like I, I would say, like the vast majority, at least, it's something that we still obviously would would deal with. It's something you can plan for, um, but it's just a reality of being an everyday person. As in, like. If you're a bodybuilder, like bodybuilders tend to be like, oh, it doesn't matter, friends don't matter, won't meet up with my friends, or I've even known like a good few guys to have eaten meals in Tupperware in the bathroom of a restaurant <laughs> while going out for dinner. So like, you probably don't want to be that person. Like, I think we can all agree that most of you listening to that podcast, to this podcast, probably don't want to start adopting behaviors like that. But firstly, I guess what you should recognize is that it's actually very practical and somewhat easy at least in theory to make this work you know you can you can still go out and meet your friends once a week have a drink or two have a meal and hit your weight loss goals like in theory it's totally fine in practice it's a little bit more difficult for people because what tends to happen a lot of the time is people are like oh yeah i'm gonna go out but they go out on friday night they drink way more than they initially planned and they go over their calories that day they wake up the next day on Saturday, they overconsume calories all that day because suddenly your goals are not in the same place, especially if you're with individuals who, you know, do not have the same goals as you. Um, and it can kind of spiral out of control for the weekend. That tends to be what happens in a lot of cases. So for me, it's about being being very honest with yourself in terms of like, right, what, what are my goals and what trade-offs am I willing to accept? Like for me, I have a drink every now and then and but I'm not going to be having like six or eight pints like that's just like that's not going to happen the vast majority of the time I'm not going to be having six or eight pints and I'm not going to go out and like have a four course meal um, on top of that especially if I was trying to lose weight like that just generally wouldn't be what I do because I'm willing to accept the trade-off of not getting pissed drunk <laughs> and not having three desserts um, in order to achieve my goals um, so that's the first thing is to recognize the trade-off you're willing to accept and the ones you're not willing to accept. Like if you're not willing to accept the trade-off of like not being able to get pissed drunk twice a week, like I'd argue that like that's something that's just like, it's almost non-negotiable as in you, you, you probably can't make that work. But like this, this like, again, even if you were like, that's what I need to do for my social life, whatever, then you have to realize that the trade-off is that the rest of your diet is going to be extremely yeah. restrictive, you know? And, like, again, is it optimal? Fuck no, right? But, again, it's a, it's a trade-off conversation you're saying. It's like, okay, well, I need to do this because this is just who I am. This is just my society, my culture, whatever the fuck, yeah. you know? I need to do this. Then you just have to realize that the trade-off is that the rest of your diet is going to be extremely restrictive and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. You know? That, again, not optimal, but that's the trade-off you have put on yourself. You know? So, it's like, oh. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so, th this is this is the thing that, I, like, ultimately, I think it's just not, this is not, a, not an issue. Yeah. You know? it's like, it's so not an issue once you actually understand what you're trying to achieve and how to diet. And that's obviously very high and mighty of me to say, be like, oh, it's just fucking not an issue to get on with it. But that's not what I actually mean. What I actually mean is, if you understand the, the underlying, the underpinnings of dieting as a whole, 
like this this just becomes a non-issue you know it's like you need to stay within your calories or around your calories to achieve your goals that's what on a weekly and a monthly schedule now we've talked about it before the issues with kind of like oh well i'm going to have a weekly deficit and try and yeah. keep track of that but it is essentially one method of going about it where you're like i'm going to eat a little bit less earlier in the week to account for going out later in the week you know and again there's a potential there for these kind of binge restrict cycles and um, and also you can do stuff like intermittent fasting you know earlier in the day you don't eat as much and then go out and um, there's all these they're all protocols so that's not the actual way you deal with it. the way you deal with it is you look at things from a calorie perspective and you go this is going to be the calories that allow me to still move forward with my goals you know how you go about dealing with that that's a protocol that's a specific to the actual situation that's presented in front of you right but then before even the calories thing you have to go what is or what are the goals related to this like what are my actual priorities like we've talked about before and once you understand them you can go okay well, my priorities are actually i want to go to the gym to better my life and you know be a better husband father fucking community member whatever fuck and i'm actually just ignoring all those actual goals yeah. because i'm going to the gym and trying to eat a certain way you know it's like you've actually been become the enemy you wished to avoid you know you like you become what you most fear um so you have to be very very clear on your goals and what you're trying to achieve and again like you have to be willing to be like okay well this is actually taking a step back from my immediate goals of fat loss or whatever but it actually supports my long-term goals of being a good family member or being a valued member of my community or whatever it is that you're, you're actually trying to achieve and then ultimately, if you look at it, it's like, like we live in a world of abundance where the, the real issue people have or the more common issue people have is the, the paradox of choice yeah. rather than being limited, you know? Like there's too many choices available rather than having too little choices available, you know? And again, that's, a, that's an issue into itself. But in this context, it actually gives you so much freedom, you know? Like, I don't see... Like you can go to any restaurant. I don't care if it is literally like southern fried chicken, like proper the Louisiana's best fucking southern fried chicken house, you know? You can still order something from the menu that will fit to your goals. Or eat to a way that fits to your goals. You know? Like if you're like, oh, I only have six hundred calories available to this meal, or you can you can eat in that manner. You can eat something that will fit into that six hundred calories, you know? So Ultimately, I'm like, you have so many choices available to you. You just need to make better choices where they are available and just forget about it. It's a non-issue, you know? If you're going out and you're like, I need to socialize twice per week to keep my social circle healthy, then, again, you accept some trade-offs. You're like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to eat the fucking nachos that they all eat while we watch the game, but like, we can have the, the three pints or whatever yeah. that I wanted to have with them, you know? So, again, like, it's just make better choices where they're available. Understand that the underlying principles that are actually guiding your fat loss, weight gain, whatever, are calories and, yes, macronutrients as well. But, again, w once you understand that, it's like, okay, well, like, there's so many ways of going about this. Like, it's, it's just not an issue. Just make better choices. And, again, I'm not trying to be, like, high and mighty on that. It's like, this, this, this is one of the things that you learn as you get better at all this stuff. Like, this is what people are saying, like, like they say, like, oh, intuitive eating. It's like, yeah, you're able to intuitively eat because you've learned all these things. You've learned all these habits. You've 
adapted all these habits to your lifestyle and you actually understand the, the variables that go into this so that you can intuitively eat and stay on track. Whereas if you're coming from this and you've never tracked your calories, like this, for most people, I just recommend tracking your calories because this gives you so much freedom ultimately. Like, yes, it is. It requires discipline initially to track your calories and, you know, learn all the stuff around that to actually get into being able to do that successfully. But it ultimately gives you so much freedom. Like, I like people to track calories two to five years, you know, if, if possible. Some people are going to be able to be like, okay, cool, after three months, I just fucking get this. I know exactly. I eat roughly the same foods. They're like 12 weeks later, they're like, this, this shit is easy. Whereas the majority of people, it takes a little bit longer. They're like, okay, you know, I eat varied foods here and there. I eat out some mornings and it's all over the place, you know, because life is messy. And for them, it's like, okay, well, let's let's use my fitness pal or whatever app you want and get a better understanding of calories, what that meal looks like, what the calorie load of that meal is or is likely to be. Get good at like eyeballing your food. And then you can move to this more kind of what everyone kind of wants to move toward this intuitive style of dieting where it's like you can just manage your nutrition very easily yeah. and you can go out and it's no big issue it's like yeah i know roughly what this meal looks like in terms of overall calories i know how to order from the menu so that i can choose better things to keep me on track with my goals i i, I know how to I basically know how to eat to stay on track with my goals and it just takes time it just takes effort and time to actually be able to do that and again like this is something that people aren't necessarily willing to do because again i'm just saying you're probably going to track calories for two to five years and then you'll be able to do this and that's not that's not sexy that's not here's fucking five tricks that are going to help you fucking succeed in your ability to socialize and eat out with friends you know yeah and the only other thing i would say is like we talked about other trade-offs but another trade-off is just like like most people don't have a weight loss deadline so if you have a setback, like that's fine. Yeah, it's I like you're you're allowed to accept it. Like a case example of this, where you'd have two different two different contexts, would be my personal case last weekend. So last weekend I went home to Kerry, and like Laura was after you know booking a hotel in Sneem for us, so we were going to be going out for dinner. We wanted to go to this pancake place on the way home to Clarny on Saturday, and then my family, like I hadn't I hadn't seen my family in weeks, and we were booking like a, a meal with my cousins and stuff and we were all going out together for the first time in however long so there was all these different things piling on top of each other so what you did was you cooked your food beforehand put it in Tupperware and only ate that yes. well honestly like of course like because like, this is actually a, a good example because it's a rare one as well where like tomorrow I have to like weigh in at a particular weight as in I pretty much have to be 74 kilos and that's it so I knew that going into last weekend Right, Gary, you've got a deadline. Um, are you willing to accept the trade-off of having to, quote-unquote, suffer more next week? Because you're going to have to eat way less if you do go out on Friday and Saturday with your family and with Laura. And it's like, is that is that a trade-off you're willing to accept? And I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's something that I'm willing to accept. So, like, next week's going to be tougher, but, hey, yeah, it's going to be worth it because I actually want to go out with my family and stuff. And I don't want to be the person that's like, oh, I can't go, even though I'm from my graduation. So, so like... That for me was like a trade-off I was willing to accept. So then when it came to Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and I was having lower calories and my meals were smaller, I was like, oh, that's fine because it's worth it and I know where I have to be on Sunday. Now, if I didn't have a weigh-in tomorrow, would I have restricted myself this week? No, probably not. And definitely not to the same degree because it just wouldn't have been as much of a problem. As in, if I gained a kilo last week that I had lost the week before, like, who cares? Like, it's, it's pretty irrelevant. As in, like, no one in the general population has a deadline for a weight loss goal. Like, 
it doesn't matter if you lose a kilo this week or if you lose it in the next two weeks because it's about the process of continuing to move forward over time. So I would worry more about where I am, where I am month to month if I'm trying to lose weight than week to week because like a great weekend with your friends could be a very worthwhile trade-off to not lose any weight that week. Like that's totally fine. But if you direct all of your attention towards the fact that you didn't lose weight, it's going to be a negative experience. If you direct all of your attention towards the fact that, oh, you actually had a break from your diet, it was great, you saw your friends, it's going to be a positive experience. You do have to frame things in that way and be willing to accept some setbacks along the way. I agree. That's fair. Um, this is a, a, a question a bit different to the other one, so I think we should answer this. How to deal with clients who do not follow your style of coaching? Late check-ins, low communication, etc. Fire them. Fire them, obviously. That would be my first instinct, like, get out of here. No, in all seriousness, uh, like, the first thing I always do um, when, when I encounter any time I feel like that, where I'm like, oh, I don't know if this person is is a good fit or if they're engaging in the process that I, in the way that I'd like, I, I think, right, that it's far more likely that, that is my fault. As in like, what, what can I do to either change the process, inform the person as to how the process works, or maybe reach out to the person and try to get them involved, you know, and make sure they feel comfortable with it. Because like, that, that's what taking ownership of like your service and, and your job is all about, is about like assuming that there's a problem with what you're doing first and that you, you you take the responsibility as opposed to assuming it's the person who's paying for the service because like I've had that come up many a time where a client has been like they haven't sent me videos through WhatsApp for a number of weeks where and I'm not and in the end of all my emails I'm always like um, oh yeah so you know if you have any videos this week like feel free to send them my way uh, and you know it's kind of just at the end of the email and I had a client say to, say to me one time they were like um, Oh, you know, I just didn't really, I wasn't really sure if I should send the videos or if it was something that was kind of just like, if I really needed to. Mm. Um, and then once in it, once it was explained to them that like, oh no, this is actually something that's really valuable for me as a coach and for you. And that's a key part of the, part of the process that like, I'm happy for you to do it daily. Then they're like, oh great. Now I can engage with the service. Same with check-ins. You know, people will say, um, oh, I saw that you were, because especially if people follow you online, they might be like, I saw that you were away for the weekend, you were away on Friday with your girlfriend, so I didn't want to send you a check-in on Friday, I didn't want to bother you. Because again, like you have to assume that there's something on their end that they might actually be doing something mm -hmm. considerate. So they're the types of things that I would try and clarify first, you know, make it clear that like, right, this is when check-ins are, I have no problem with you sending it, you know, if, if there is a delay, I, I might be a bit delayed, and I'm sorry about that, it won't happen often, or, you know, if it's WhatsApp contacts, and make it clear that it's beneficial for you, that it's part of the service. And, and yeah, I guess play around with your own communication style, your own, you know, in, infer, informing of people um, before you assume that they just like are not invested in the service. Because realistically, if they've chosen you as a coach, they've invested their money, they probably want to get something out of it. So, so I would take that as my responsibility um, first and foremost. Yeah, like I think it is ultimately, uh, you just need to communicate. Yeah. You know, like it, whatever way that actually looks like for you as, as a coach yourself, you know, you need to reach out to that person, explain to them, late check-ins. It's like, look, this is the reason I need to have check-ins yeah. on these days. Like I say, I do my check-ins, like I get to my clients, send them on a Friday, Saturday. So I do them on a Saturday, Sunday, right? Um, and some people might check in on a Sunday, but 
that cleared out with me first or they might check in on a Sunday and not realize that that kind of throws my process out, out the window or they'll check in on Monday or Tuesday you know and it's like I just need to communicate better with them and be like this this is why it's so important to do it on a, a Friday Saturday because you know and now it takes me if you send it on a Monday I might not get back to you till yeah. a Wednesday or maybe even a Thursday you know I've got other things going on as well so you get a lower quality service like it's it's not necessarily a hassle for me because like I'll eventually get to the email, but it's a hassle for you because now you know you didn't get your program updated or you know you had a, a burning issue. You're going out for dinner on whatever day, and it's like it's a, it's a disservice for them. So you know they may not know that this is your schedule. You do your check ins, you reply to check ins or whatever on the Saturday Sunday or whatever it is. You know, so they didn't they didn't realize that. That's why that is important to do, you know? That's a communication issue. You need to just tell them. You need to actually communicate with them. Same way like you're saying with the, the sending you videos. They might be like, oh, I know you mentioned that, but I, I haven't done it because I, I'm a bit scared of it, you know? And it's like you actually need to communicate them, communicate with them and explain, this is why I need you to send me videos. Like, this is why this is actually a very valuable part of the service that, you know, if you don't do it, it's like, I can only assume that you're doing everything correctly, you know? So... It's, it actually behooves you so much better to be like, if you get your, your your videos to me, we can actually dial in your technique and then you can actually progress quicker in a more safe manner, you know? I was like, they might not just understand that. So it just comes down to a communication thing where it's like, you have to treat these like you're an individual. And it's like, like again, like I just treat everyone like they're retarded. Like I'm gonna explain, like I treat myself like I'm retarded, you know? I was like, I'm just gonna explain everything to you. Ideally in the first email where it's like, here's all our, our, our rundown, here's my, mobile phone number you know whatsapp me like talk them through the entire process here's why you check in here's when i'm available here's what you're going to get from this service like do a big email like that and then you'll see that people read through that and they pick up different things from that themselves so they may forget a certain aspect or they may not engage with a certain aspect that's you as a coach you have to be like this is why this aspect is important or you know for either remind them or you know ensure that what they read in that initial email was what they actually took away from that initial email, you know? So it just comes down to communication. Like it shouldn't ultimately be an issue if you just communicate. You know, there's gonna obviously be people that are, are just not a good fit. They're just like, look, I didn't engage with the process. I, I just didn't like the way we communicated. I didn't like this. I didn't know that this was the way the coaching went or whatever. Like there's always gonna be individuals. You can't please everyone. You know, but again, like I said, you have to initially assume that it's your fault, you know, and potentially modify things for that individual. Like I know I have one or two clients that check in, one of them check in late on a Sunday and one of them checks in on a Monday because that fits their schedule, yeah. you know, and I'm like, that's perfectly fine. You know, they work on Saturday, Sunday, you know, so they've got other stuff going on. That's like, they can't really sit down and actually do the check in. I'm like, that's fine. I know I can, I have to allocate time on a Monday to do their check in. You know, like they know that, I know that their check-in is going to be there. It's consistent all the time. They're like, this is the time I'll check in. I'm sorry that it's outside of your check-in window, but, you know, we'll deal with it, you know? And that's perfectly fine because they've communicated with me, right? And that makes my life so much easier. So you have to always assume that, again, well, if I communicate with the other individuals that aren't engaging, can I make their life easier and make this more sustainable for them, make them more, or make them enjoy the process more, you know? Yeah, and the only, the only final thing there as well is that, like, 
different different clients require different levels of communication and I think that's that's really really important to recognize because there's been times where like I've you know I've, I've been thinking through all this stuff and I've killed myself thinking like oh like why why isn't this person contacting me like am I doing a good job or whatever but then it comes to the end and they're like firstly they met all their goals they made great progress and they're like Gary I got so much from the service you know I learned so much from you from the things you were saying and you just don't know what people are actually taking in. Like you don't know who requires what level of communication. As in, if someone is not understanding something, they're not executing the program in the way that you'd like, and they're not moving forward in terms of progress. Like that's clearly a person that would benefit from you communicating in a different way, modifying the communication, or communication communicating with you regularly. However, if it is someone that's like they're losing a kilo a week, that's their goal. Mm. Their their weights are going up. Um, they're clearly taking on board everything and they're saying got it gonna execute and each week their check-in is like uh, did everything required this week thanks very much question or two here mm. and talk to you next week like at the end of the day that's what people pay for like they yeah. pay for results they pay for like maybe learning things along the way but if that's what they're getting out of it then I think you can rest assured that you are doing a good job so just recognize that you do you needn't hold everyone to the standard of the one-page emails that some clients will send but at the same time, you shouldn't hold those clients that do communicate a lot to the standard of the people who don't either because mm -hmm. they are just getting what they need to out of the service. So Yeah, again, it's always going to change over time. Like You might have some people yeah. at the start that are sending really, really detailed, loads of questions, but then you've been coaching them for three months, six months, and their emails just turn into these like, yeah, great week. Yeah, don't, great week. Like, Talk soon. Like, we've got everything sorted out. You know, and again, like you says, like coaching style as well. Like again, this may be the way you do your training programs or yeah. all that kind of stuff. But again, like you just have to explain to them like wh why things are set up that way or why things are set up the way they are set up. You know, and again, maybe you have to modify your coaching approach. Like again, you might have a program like this. This is the program I use for males that have been training for two years and you know want to gain muscle. You're like this is this is the rough outline. You know, maybe it's modifiable because. This guy can train four days and this guy can train five days or whatever and you know whatever it is you know and you're like this may not work for that individual you may have to actually adjust that and go like okay well i have back off sets and top sets and all and this guy just really doesn't like that you know it doesn't 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 work for him you know so then you have to adjust your training program and coaching style uh, to actually accommodate that individual you know and maybe that's something that you don't know how to do know how to do and it's something that you need to upskill in. You know? So again, like Gary said, you have to assume it's your issue, not theirs. It's good stuff. Two good ones that go together here, I think. That I think like people like hearing this stuff because they're like, ooh, they feel like they're getting secrets. Patty, what's your favorite book and your favorite podcast? It doesn't have to be your actual favorite, but just like something you'd like that you think people should engage in with. Favorite book? Probably Alexander Solzhenitsyn's oh, yeah. fucking Gulag Archipelago, um, just because it's probably the book I've read the most. Um, it's pretty fire. It's pretty good, like, well, it's pretty fucking terrible. It's pretty horrible, like. <laughs> but, uh, Good all the same. Yeah, it's probably that, as a book. If you're talking, like, health and fitness, I don't There's know. There's not many, are you, like, books? I don't know, like, yeah, like, it's kind of hard to, like, I just like a biochemistry textbook, like, that's, that's my, my bias. Um, Leninger's is the one I use. Just fucking out there. That's that's lit. Uh, Leninger, as the Germans say. Leninger. Uh, but uh, yeah, that'll probably be my favorite book. Uh, 
and in, ter in terms of podcasts, I'm liking Eric Weinstein's yeah. The Portal. That's savage. I'm enjoying that. That's only like recent enough. Yeah, there's like six episodes. Um, I listen to some Joe Rogan episodes. Mm. You know, like depends on the guest. That's probably on. listen to like one in five, maybe. Yeah, I probably listen to more than that because I like all the like anything to do with science. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Anything to do with diet and nutrition, I like it because it's also a different perspectives, even if I don't agree with it. Um, I don't like all the comedians and stuff like that, or the, yeah. the famous people. I'm like, I honestly don't care that you can play the guitar. Like it just, Sorry. it doesn't, it doesn't Great do the thing that I like. I'm sure this really gives a lot of people enjoyment in their life, but it does nothing for me. Um, I like some of the MMA ones. Like I like, like say Cowboy Cerrone and stuff are on, but like some of the people I'm like, I just really couldn't care less that you are now the new fly fucking featherweight interim champ I'm like I don't, I don't care <laughs> you know um, so yeah some Joe Rogan episodes uh, I like uh, Jordan Peterson's one as well don't always agree with him on all this stuff but no. like again I like I like things that like think deeply ask questions and talk about philosophy I do like history as well although a lot of history podcasts are pretty fucking shit there's a few that are good but they just don't come out with episodes very frequently so I end up just not listening to them um, other than that, obviously this podcast. The triathlon podcast, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, I don't really listen to much like health and nutrition, fitness, whatever, podcast stuff. Um, apart from obviously on Joe Rogan, whatever there's people on for that. Uh, I just, I'm like, it just doesn't enthuse me. I'm like, I'd rather learn like first principle type stuff. Mm. You know, I'm like, this, like, I don't really care about your new protocol for whatever. It's just a protocol. You're not gonna like it's not the it's not the fucking higher line stuff. I'm like that either comes down to like you know exercise physiology or you know biochemistry, nutritional biochemistry. Um, so yeah, Jason, so. um, book maybe man search for meaning. Um, it's pretty lit by Victor Frankl. Um, I think he was a doctor. Was he a doctor or psychologist? He was a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, doctor or psychologist? In between, psychiatrist. He was a psychiatrist who was basically in the Nazi concentration camps, like not exactly the soundest place to exist, but um, lots of good, decent psychological, philosophical insights in there, and it's actually good. Like even anyone's into like uh, health, um, healthcare, like any anything like that. Anyone who's had an existential crisis, I think, I think it's good to just listen to stories from people who've been in fairly horrible situations, and it's an easy read, short book. So that's good stuff. Um, the Gulag Archipelago would be up there as well. A book I'm very glad I read. As for health and fitness stuff, um, again, like I'm not into reading pop popular health and fitness books. I haven't really read any that I would um, like really recommend. If if I have, it's on the it's on a recommended resource archive. So like if you've ever got questions about what podcasts or books or articles you should read like there's a big list there on our, on our website in terms of podcasts and uh, one of the podcasts i've been loving recently is the uh the bbc do these podcasts called in our time and they have like science history philosophy um they do religion all all different topics but basically they'll get like two to three experts from the field on and they'll just talk about something like ridiculously specific and the the interviewer is like 
he's just, he's, just, he's the perfect interviewer because as soon as someone goes like three seconds like left field like on a tangent he's like whoa, whoa, whoa no back to the point <laughs> so like there's episodes on like penicillin like enzymes like just very very specific things and you do get a lot of them so i quite enjoy I can't support the bbc process. though because you know taxation is theft fair <laughs> and they require you to pay tv license and yeah. of course it's british it's true <laughs> but yeah on the in our time podcast i'd actually recommend checking them out there they're pretty good there's a few that are, might be peripherally related to like nutrition and health and stuff like there's one on circadian biology which is quite good um and enzymes i guess is relevant for sure uh, so there is a lot of stuff in there that's worth uh, taking a look at so also we should mention that there's two other irish guys that do podcasts and that's danny lennon and they know yes I actually do, they're two of the podcasts that I would listen to quite regularly. I just listened to David's latest podcast yesterday with Hugh Gilmore. Hugh Gilmore is actually a psychologist, sports psychologist, but like is legit. As in like he's not one of these kind of like airy-fairy up in the world, up in the air, like says a lot but gives you nothing to take action on. Like he's big into like, like stoicism and the application of that and like building a culture within teams and like a lot of practical stuff that I would like be, be a big fan of. Um, so he's he's someone that, that that's that's quite good. Well, it's Dave's podcast, but check out that episode. Uh, and Danny Lennon's podcast is great as well. Like if you're interested in nutrition, like there's basic, there's probably at least three to five episodes on pretty much every aspect of nutrition you could be interested in. So like the way I would view a pod, uh, the purpose of any podcast is to gain an entry point into a topic. Like for example, if you listen to, passive learning, yeah, you listen to a podcast maybe on a topic you're, you're interested in, listen to two or three episodes, and then you're like, right, this is what some of the experts are saying. So that I remember that bit, I remember that bit, I remember that bit. Generally in the show notes, there'll be links, click on the links, read don't more about Don't tell people people do that, because I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> read more about the author's work, um, and then you delve deeper into topics uh, based on that. So, so yeah, other than that, I don't listen to that many health and fitness podcasts. I'm big into actually the both of us, I think, the Jacko podcast, oh, yeah, another one we didn't that. mention. Uh, if you don't listen to the Jocko podcast, that's also excellent. Um, it's weak if you don't listen to it. It's like it's, it is pretty weak if you don't listen to the Jocko podcast. Um, and yeah, I listen to the occasion bit of Jordan Peterson. A um, little bit of Sam Harris sometimes. Um, but some of his guests I don't find that interesting. Um, also, he, always, he talks so slowly uses, as well. Always uses the thing where he's like, I'm a neuroscientist. I mean, you literally have a neuroscience degree. You have done no neuroscience in your life. So stop using that as... Your, your entry point to be like, oh yes, I'm in neuroscience. You're not talking about conviction on this topic. So, anyway. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, well, he does get some some good guests on every now and then. I just find his voice boring. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the thing I like about, that's the one thing I like about Jordan Peterson is like, I always feel like he's on the verge of crying or screaming. <laughs> like, it keeps you awake. Like. Um, so yeah, there are there are books and podcasts and the, only, the, the other thing that kind of ties on to that then would be reliable sources of health and fitness information so obviously we touched on a few of them there there's a few other ones that would quickly come to mind like uh, Lyle mcdonald has always put out really good stuff like his website is like a really messy archive of <laughs> lots of different uh, interesting discussions of body recomposition yeah bodyrecomposition.com and he's been writing for what 20 years yeah, he got like, it like <laughs> he was an early adopter of the internet yeah <laughs> Um, so like he's been writing since the internet <laughs> started, uh, well, which is really the 90s, like the internet's actually been around for longer than that, yeah. 70s, we'll say really came to prominence, but yeah, the 90s anyway, um, 
So again, his, his website has fuck tons of information on it. Like you said, it is a little bit messy and there's like, it's, we'll say it's evergreen content, but it's not in a, an easily managed archive. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, this works to this, 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 like, you know, really have like an index that you can really like, this is the, the thought process or this is how you have things. Um, but if you have a thought around health, nutrition, fitness, whatever, you know, he's probably fucking wrote about it. Yeah, you can just tell that, like, with all of his articles, it's like he read something, something stupid that someone said online, got pissed off, and decided to write like, write, like a seven-part article series on yeah. it. Yeah, he's bipolar. That's, yeah, that's why. It's pretty, pretty much what happens. Uh, but yeah, as we said, the Sigma Nutrition Podcast, Synapse Performance Podcast, both good sources as well. Both of those also have blogs and um, put out some stuff um, that you might be interested in. What else would there be reliable sources? I like the Stronger by Science podcast as well with Greg Knuckles and Eric Trexler. I like their website as well. Um, a lot of good stuff on there from... I don't like their website. I know you don't. But Greg and other authors who've contributed um, good stuff. Travel Medicine as well. Are, Just I should really qualify yeah. that. The only reason I don't like it is because they'll say something that you could say in one line over an entire paragraph. <laughs> I'm like, there, there is no need to basically say the same thing multiple times and make this article 10,000 words when it literally only needed to be 1,000 words, you know? So that's the only reason I don't like it. I'm not saying it's bad information or anything. I'm just, I don't like the writing style. You're a like, minimalist writer. Yeah, I don't like where it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, you have supporting points. You have supporting documents. You have supporting, like, literature that you want to link. And I understand that. But it's like, you could say this in one sentence and then put a few links here. Like, I honestly, like, it's, it's that simple in my mind. I'm like, I don't need you to do a recap of every single one of the studies that you're linking and tell me what they found and then they found this. I can read the study myself if I want to mm-hmm. get that information. I want to know the, the point that you're taking from all of this information. In my mind, that's what a, a blog is supposed to do. It's not like you're writing a scientific paper where you may have to do that. You know, it's like, no, you're writing a blog for the lay people to understand or even like your peers to understand. It's like, write the sentence. This is what you took, took from it. Here's a supporting literature. This is what you think supports your point. You don't need to tell me that like, this study had 41 people in it, so, you know, I'm like, I, don't, I can read the study. <laughs> yeah, this study. So, yeah, Stronger by Science, reliable, for sure, but uh, I just not like the writing stuff, so. You, you, you said like, another one on acid analogy? Huh? Oh, yeah, Barrel Medicine, they put out good stuff as well on multiple different uh, platforms, kind of spontaneously, like, they'll have some stuff maybe for, like, a month, and then they just won't post anything for ages, but generally, they do put out good quality stuff. Because they have- Real job. Yeah, like to be fair, like Austin is like an actual internal medicine doctor, so it's like, all right, fair enough. Um, but yeah, they do put out a, a good bit of content, good stuff on pain and rehab, would recommend because um, they've got like a pain and rehab team at the moment, so they do like a pain and rehab podcast. And like, if you're, if you're not interested in like conversations about like philosophy that almost come across as being really pretentious, like I wouldn't listen to their stuff, but as someone who's like, like just really interested in, in in pain and kind of philosophy as well. It's like, yeah, I can get on board with it. But if I was the lay person, I'd be like, ah, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so but, you don't like that. No, I do. The, I, I do. The same perspe- you're saying you, you wouldn't like it from the same perspective that I don't like Stronger by Science website. I'm like, just stop talking shit and just get to the point. If I was putting myself in like my 18-year-old <laughs> yeah. my shoes, I'd be like, God, this is painful. But love the podcast, love the guys. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they put out good content as well. Um, I'm sure there's like tons of reliable places. Examine.com is generally yeah. quite good. 
Um, Although they sometimes get the biochemistry wrong and makes my blood boil, but um, we can't all be perfect. Yeah, but yeah, there's lots of other stuff online as well. Like, I mean, basic sciences and stuff. Like, there's there's actually ridiculous amount of stuff online that you can just you can actually learn your fundamentals from. Like, even like the Khan Academy, like YouTube, such a simple YouTube, thing. YouTube, like, just like whatever you're like, read something like oh, glycolysis. I don't understand that. Yeah. YouTube, there's fucking a million videos on it, and you'll find one form that you're like that clicks with me. You know, like you're saying, like Khan Academy, that that could be one of them. Once you're like, oh, this this makes sense. You've done a visual representation. And, makes sense to me you know so like there's so many resources out there that it's actually this is what i always say and this is just a complete tangent so you can stop me if you think i'm talking shit so i also think that eventually like institutions like universities and stuff just become obsolete because it's like what what are you actually teaching someone that they couldn't find in a quicker time period themselves you know it's like i can read the textbook because that's what eventually or essentially lecturers do now it's like I'm going to give you a synopsis of this topic, you know, or these topics, and you have to go read this yourself, you know. And if they're if that's their teaching style and that's what they're doing, it's like, well, why can't I just shop around and get the best teacher to teach me that on YouTube? They put their lecture lecture up for free, and their teaching style is much better. They're using better props. They're using better images. They're using better. Uh, language to explore that topic or you know explain it and whatever it's like what are you actually getting from a university now obviously it's the actual certification or degree process like the actual testing and that's where I think universities will eventually go where it's basically they're just end up like testing centers you know obviously that's not applicable for all the things like you're doing medicine whereas obviously you have to (laughs) actually do medicine to learn medicine Um, but for loads of things it's like well all they're doing essentially is fucking whatever you want childcare for four years it's like yeah like we're just going to look after you for four years like most people are like yeah my first two years of my degree were worthless i did nothing you know and then they're like okay the next two years were a little bit harder and it's like you, you just deferred your life for four years when i can get all this knowledge that you gave me and i could probably pass the end tests the, the fourth year test so i don't care where the no, no one cares where the knowledge came from what they actually care is that you actually know the knowledge. So I personally think that universities and colleges and whatever are just going to be obsolete in some fields and they'll just become testing centers. But yeah, yeah like a, good exa- a good example of that is like we're doing anatomy at the moment. And like anatomy lectures, in my in my opinion, pointless. Like there's no point in having an anatomy lecture because like, like yeah, there are the occasional lecture. There's the occasional lecturer you'll get who's really good at explaining concepts, but anatomy is barely about concepts as mm-hmm. in like, this it's just factual information. This is like, the shoulder. This is where the greater tubercle is. This is where the subscapularis attaches. Like, like ultimately, the best way of, of teaching that anatomy, instead of wasting four hours a week of lecture resources, of students having to be there, go away and study yourself. Come back into the cadaver lab twice per week and let's do practical stuff of actually looking. Or even if you're like, that's yeah. even too impractical. Be like, here, I developed an app that has <laughs> all the muscles on it. Basically, the cadaver stuff on an app. It's like, yeah, it's and we have access to that, Ackland's Anatomy, yeah. Yeah, and there's another one also, 3D4 Medical yeah. or something, yeah. whatever it's called. You know, it's like, this is just a better way of teaching. Like, here's a, a three-dimensional fucking thing that I'm like, here, click on where the insertion point is. Oh, no, you got it wrong. You know, like, actual interactive things where people are actively learning the the information that's presented in front of them. They're like, okay, this this makes way more sense than just having someone stand there and be like, this <laughs> So yeah, it does depend on the subject. Like some lecturers do a really good job of like, 
like they'll like in some subjects like physiology like they'll explain to you like the history of this concept like what the initial experiments were blah 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 and they, you know they, they'll go around the topic you can tell they have deep knowledge but when it's something like anatomy it's like yeah there's no reason that i need to listen to this person as opposed to just like reading the book or just looking at pictures or again looking up and having a free market ability to be like this is the best person you are the top yeah. in the world as a lecturer not necessarily as a researcher or whatever because loads of times you find that like they could be fucking unbelievable like heavily cited researcher but be a terrible lecturer like terrible you know and it's just like this this process is is broken fundamentally in my eyes anyway but again like that's what we'll see at that play over the next 10 15 20 years there you go folks any other ones that are quick because this is like what an hour or so yeah it's probably another hour now but uh let's see any quick ones um Will creatine inhibit a fat loss goal? No, it'll inhibit a weight loss goal. Like for example, Maybe. I'm not, some people potentially don't. some people, yeah. Like I'm not taking I'm not taking creatine at the moment because as I said, it has to meet a weight class, and I know that for me, it makes between about a one point two and two kilo difference somewhere between there. I don't know, somewhere around there is it probably makes that much of a difference in my weight. It's probably closer to a kilo, like realistically. Um, but at the same time, it's like, right, is the is the benefit of the creatine worth the extra hassle of dieting further? Like, probably not in this case. As in, like, not for me at this point in that sport. For you, different question. But fat loss, like, I, I see no reason to not take creatine. Like, it de it's definitely beneficial in that, like, you're pro well, for some people, again, like, your muscles might look a little bit fuller because you you've got more water in your muscle. Um, you've got better better performance, a couple of extra reps here and there maybe, like again, beneficial for maintaining your muscles. So it's probably only beneficial from the perspective of fat loss. I can't think yeah. of any downside. Unless you kind of cycle on and off, but then just makes tracking fucking Hard, pain yeah. in the ass. Like, but so yeah, that's, no, that's not it will support your fat loss goal. If you're a weight class athlete, in some cases, you might want to consider removing it. But again, there's it's also neuroprotective. So if you do any sort of... Um, striking sport like if you're MMA or boxing kickboxing whatever rugby then you want to have creatine in there for new protective benefits that could potentially you know save your your, your, your machinery over the long run so there you go I should have done that huh? he should have done that he wouldn't be the way he is um, but yeah I think that's most of the short ones like some of them we kind of already touched on like we the, one of the questions is minimalist programming for exercises for workout do you actually need more i think we kind of touched on that peripherally and that yeah. we said you know like, we talked about it before yeah like, you know what's the minimal effective dose it's like if you do like four sets even in a workout yeah that's that's like i mean like very good sets 100 percent dialed in it's like that's a good workout for that that muscle group you know and again it doesn't seem like a lot when you're used to doing like 20 sets per workout for that muscle group but you know, like you can make a lot of progress if those four sets are dialed in. Like you probably would have to do more of a, a top set type approach where you're actually getting closer and closer to failure with those. Um, but that doesn't mess doesn't necessarily mean that they all need to be two failure. Like you could do four sets of you know P nine on all those. You know, you're just near failure and all the tension was dialed in. But again, it depends on the overall approach. But yeah, I yeah, like four. Like this is four exercises per workout. Yeah. Like, and I mean. We'll say how many workouts, how many sets, like what's your training history? Like that's that's probably the biggest question in a lot of these cases. Two questions is what's your training history? 
and what's your goal? As in, if your training history is that you've always needed, like reliably over five years, you've always needed six days of training with like six exercises per workout, and you've always only responded to higher volume training, and you're continuing the path of wanting to maximize muscle mass, four exercises per workout three times a week, probably not enough. But if you're a person who's like, yeah, I've kind of been training here and there, like, you know, a bit here, a bit, a bit there, never really followed a program, four exercises per workout, like, you're doing that a few times a week, like, that's, that's a decent yeah, no, I was training. Yeah, again, like, I'm like, you need, what, 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week, you know, somewhere in that region yeah. for most people. I'm like, again, if you look at that, four, four exercises, we'll say they're all three sets, that's 12 sets per workout, right? If you just did a one body part workout, you know? there you go there's your fucking 12 sets for that body part well, we'll say you even do like a an upper lower split for example you know you could do like a, a lower body day and have like two quad exercises two hamstring exercises and you know do that twice per week yep. again it's there still like 12-ish sets for that body part per week you know and same with the upper body day you know you do like whatever two chest and two back you know whatever it's like that's still 12 per week you know maybe you do throw in some fucking lateral raises as well five exercises for your upper yeah. body but you know it's not that big a deal yeah like i rarely do more than four exercises per workout to be honest but again that comes down to a question of goals i mean like my goal is not to maximize my muscle mass like that's not the, the current goal so it would be unfair of me to say that oh you should just train twice per week you know four, four exercises per workout because again goal dependent but yeah i think that covers like a lot of different topics in this episode and the last part of the q a um, we do have a couple left over, so what we might do is touch on them in like future episodes just at the end. Like, all right, let's answer a question, talk about it for 10 minutes. Um, and yeah, if you guys enjoy the Q&A episodes, like let us know. There's always an option to submit questions. Like it, it's, it's linked below in the description box, so you can just drop your question down below. Um, and we'll get back to it, whether it be on a Q&A episode, if it's a quick one, or if it's a good question for a full podcast, we'll touch on that. If it's an episode where... Or if it's a question we're like, oh God, I don't know about that. There's plenty of guests that we could potentially get on to discuss it. So never be afraid to, to request a topic. You're dead right, Gary. I have nothing else to say, except that I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm starving now. So um, thank you very much for listening. As always, guys, services will be linked below. Group coaching, one-to-one coaching. Um, check, check those things out. The only other thing we were going to mention was that we are going to a seminar on November 18th and 19th, I think. Um, and that's the Roderick Chavez seminar um, in Dublin. There's actually two of them. One's physique related, one's more sports performance related. Um, they're going to be great seminars and you can use Triage 20 to get 20% off. And the tickets are actually very reasonable for a seminar. I can't remember the exact cost, but... Like I've been on some seminars that have cost me like three to five hundred euro for a weekend, and I or think a grand. yeah, or a grand. <laughs> I think this is about about half. Um, so yeah, check that out, uh, Roderick Chavez. You'll find it on this. I think synapseperformance.ie. Like David Nolan is is one of the organizers, so you'll probably find it there. If not, just Google Roderick Chavez uh, seminar Ireland, <laughs> and you'll find. It, so. yeah, I think one of the England ones is sold out. So yeah, London is sold out. They are selling, so don't be like, oh yeah, I'll wait till closer to the event. I'm like, no, get, get your ass there, because the two of us will be there. I know a lot of people from a few our, people from the group are going. The group as well. are going, yeah. Um, two Protestants, <sighs> Gavin Cusick and Ben Heron. You hate to see it, really. Yeah, two two Nordies, two orange bastards. But look, <laughs> I suppose you can. 
can't hold it against them. Like, well, actually, you can. Gavin, okay. Gavin Cusick thought he was taller than me as well. People, that's actually one of the things that people say to me when they meet me in real life because I'm so famous. You know, they're like, I thought you'd be smaller. And also, this is because then I feel like the Chad, but then you realize that he's actually six five. Yeah, so that's like, because ah. you stand beside me, so people assume I'm yeah. a regular <laughs> height, and then you're just a midget. When in fact, I am actually just a giant. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you still are smaller. So. Yeah, Paddy is like five eleven. Like that's pretty big. I'm five five. Five three, I thought. Oh, five three. So. Well, I'm not my boots on. You know? oh, of course, yeah. Um, look, that's it. We're just talking shit at this six point. Six foot so. five and above master race. Nah, if you're even scraping six, six foot like me, you're doing well. I think. I don't think so. Like moderate height like, master. You struggle race. to touch the ceiling. You struggle to get things from the top shelf. Like, like, Are you serious? <laughs> See, you have to. On jump. that note, <laughs> you even have to jump. So Peace cool. out, guys. Uh, uh, just remember that it is, in fact, too easy. Too easy. Oh, that was, do you know that's a white supremacy sign? Oh, I know, yes. That's why I thought you did it. <laughs>